standard issue for all women. Hello there, Jen here. Welcome to this week's edition of The Sunday Chops. In fact, it's one of two editions of The Sunday Chops this week because there is another episode out in which Hannah and Mick go and talk to Caitlin Davis about the real-life bad girls, the women of Holloway Prison. As far as I'm aware, they did not meet anyone called Bodybag during their chat. But it is a fascinating lesson, so do go ahead and get that in your ears. But back to the business at hand, which is this Sunday Chops, in which I was absolutely delighted to meet Chidera Egaru, a.k.a. The Slumflower, who is an award-winning blogger, speaker... All these kind of things that millennials do. She's 23 years old and I was literally blown away by her. She's just published a book called What a Time to Be Alone. And she's also just this week published a second book aimed at younger women, children, girls, called Scribble Yourself Feminist, which is pretty much what it says on the tin. Chidera has so much confidence and as an almost 36-year-old woman, I felt like I learned a lot from reading her book actually and a lot from her and she unapologetically knows her worth and her value which is something that as women we, we are just not very good at doing or rather we are told not to do and I think that this is a fantastic listen and I really hope that you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed chatting to her and if you want to see more of Chidera you can actually find her next week on my 36th birthday no less on stage with us at the London Podcast Festival at King's Place. We are on at 2pm in the afternoon and you can still get tickets, so please do have a look. She's on the bill with Imriel Morgan, host of the Wannabe Podcast and chief exec of the Shout Out Network and, of course, award-winning, wonderful Angela Barnes, the comedian, who is also the host of BBC Radio 4's News Jack. And it will be me, Mick and Hannah having a natter with the three of them I am envisaging a lively debate, so I think it'll be a lot of fun, so please do come along, have a look on our website, or rather on our page on Sarah's website, www.sarahmillican.co.uk forward slash standard hyphen issue, to find out more about that and where you can get tickets. For now, I have wanged on for long enough, as per usual, so I will leave you to Chidera. Enjoy. Hello. Hi. I'm joined by Chidera Egaru, award-winning blogger speaker and now author of the book What a Time to Be Alone and founder of the Saggy Boobs Matter movement, Chidera. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. This is amazing. Chidera's given me about four compliments already so I've already told her she can come back. (laughs) Just a little heads up, we are sitting outside Honest Burgers in Peckham so you might hear the occasional, I don't know, coffee machine, car stuff. Anyway, I have got a copy of your very lovely book here, What a Time to Be Alone. Tell us a bit about what it's about and how you came to write this book. So What a Time to Be Alone was written for all the recovering overthinkers around the world, including myself. So a recovering overthinker is someone who just can't stop looking back on past events and wishing that they behaved differently or wishing that they turned out differently and just not being able to detach from what the outcome has been. Why that's important is because if you find yourself constantly stuck in the past, it means you can't actually enjoy what's left of your life, which is the present. And we don't know what the future looks like, but you can at least enjoy the present. And so what I want to do through this book is to encourage people to take the power back into their own hands by using the book as a mirror held up against themselves. So this book, really, the point is to just 
remind you of your own importance and remind you that you've gotten it wrong you're going to get it wrong a few more times but what matters is that you're going to get it right afterwards and it's an opportunity for you to try it again so I really want people to be able to understand that they do have a second chance with themselves the book covers quite a lot of different topics but sort of central theme really is self-love I guess you mention in the book that this can kind of be misconstrued as arrogance do you feel like there is a difference in the perception of how men and women channel self-love or, or how people perceive it? Do men even experience self-love in the same way? Is this sort of like a term that we've created for women because society doesn't really encourage us to do it? I love this question because cisgendered heterosexual men are told from the moment that they're born that the world is theirs. All they have to do is just be assertive and work hard and make sure their shirt is ironed. But for you know women who are born into the world it comes with this idea that from the moment that you come into this universe you're not good enough you've got to seek everyone else's approval you've got to live according to everyone else's standards but yours and so I definitely do believe that the self-love movement or this you know high level of consciousness that women are reaching has come as a result of a world telling us that we aren't good enough and that we have to suffer in order to be seen Whereas um, with men, I do feel, I agree with you, that there isn't much around the conversation of self-love for men because, again, they've been taught to believe that as long as they're making money and as long as, you know, there is someone in their life telling them that they love them, then they're, they're good enough and that's fine. But every single person could do with self-love. There's no such thing as too much self-love either. Why I think it gets mistaken for arrogance is because when you're a woman, self-assurance is seen as a threat because it means that, you're harder to bend and it makes you less malleable so you're harder to intimidate it means that when someone loves their self they know what's best for their self and they can't be swayed into making a poorer decision whereas when you don't love yourself when you're unsure of your greatness it means that it's easier for other people to take advantage of you and control you and you know use you as a tool for which they can vicariously live through having power and yeah any woman who loves herself is seen as a threat in any environment because the world tells you that you shouldn't do that. The world tells you you've got to seek permission to do that. How dare you love yourself without seeking permission first? I think it's very interesting. I was reading this yesterday after going through a, uh, a recent dating mishap, I'm going to oh call it. Oh, my Welcome to my life. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't get any better, I'm telling you. Uh, which had like quite a profound impact on me. And I found the book quite comforting, especially some of the stuff you've written about how people can only treat you badly if they are actually sort of unhappy with themselves and how we spend too much time sort of fixating on ourselves, taking things personally. Can you tell me a bit more about that? I've spent a lot of time looking at past situations that haven't gone according to how I wanted it to and thinking it was all my fault and that, you know, if I'd smiled a little more or if I was just a little bit more agreeable or all these things I could have been more of, then the situation would have worked out when really I didn't fail myself, that person failed me because for me to be attracted to or drawn to them in the first place, it meant that they, pre they presented something that made me feel like, okay, this could work. And so they did not live up to that expectation that they created, so that's a failure on their end. It's not my fault or my job to psychoanalyze it or try to reason with someone who isn't even making the effort to reason with their own self or but most importantly be honest with their self and so I found that when it comes to disappointments like that 
I'm learning to just remember that people do treat you how they feel about themselves and when I've thought about all the times when I've been feeling bad about myself it definitely has impacted and influenced the way that I treat other people even when I've tried to be conscious of it so I might be a bit snappier if I'm in a bad mood or if something is bothering me that I'm struggling to get over it will definitely affect my interactions but when I'm in a better mood and when I'm feeling great about myself I have a lot more compassion and kindness to share so that naturally seeps through in all my interactions so I found that if someone chooses to treat me badly and by bad treatment I mean if they're like you know withholding certain elements of the truth or if they're behaving in a way that's flaky or if they are sending you out mixed signals that all counts as poor treatment because that's not a respect to you as a person if they're doing all that then that's more about them and their inability to decide on what they want. It's nothing to do with me and the value that I have to offer to their life that they don't even deserve at this point. I spend a lot of time alone at the moment. I'm not dating, very on brand. <laughs> but the reason why that is is because if you look at how men are socialised in society, they aren't socialised to be introspective or emotionally intelligent. And so that means that you, you find that when you are, often when you're interacting with you know, a straight man when you, that you're romantically interested in, or romantically involved in, you're spending a lot of time trying to over-explain how you feel. Whereas when they're explaining how they feel, you're able to connect with it and empathise more of them. Because that's, and that's because women are taught that you know, we should put the feelings of men first and that we're supposed to be more considerate and the more emotional, quote-unquote emotional ones. Um, and that's seen through the way that women are punished, girls are punished and boys are punished and the way that we speak to young girls, the way we speak to young boys... Um, and you grow up with that conditioning and so that for me makes dating really difficult because I'm not here to raise anyone's son I'm not here to yeah I'm not here to t educate anyone about their own emotional spectrum I think for someone to be prepared to love me they need to be prepared to love their self I can't imagine anybody regardless of their gender being in a position to healthily love someone if they don't even love their self I mean some people have issues with that statement where they say things like you know I don't think it's true that you can't you know love someone if you don't love yourself but what I mean is you can still love someone if you don't love yourself but it's not a healthy kind of love yeah. a healthy love is where you're aware of your qualities and you're aware of what your difficulties are but you're making a very dedicated and conscious effort to really work on yourself yeah. and that work on yourself will also translate into the relationship as well because you're understanding that of course it's a relationship where it's two people that want the best out of each other but you still want the best out of yourself because you know that if you're the best self for yourself you can be your best self for that person too who you love dearly and I think it's really hard to find that in a man so I would much rather just be on my own than to spend loads of time settling for someone who does not recognise the importance of providing comfort and safety in the form of a person because I deserve that and I'm not willing to compromise on or settle in the pursuit of running away from myself because a lot of relationships happen when you're trying to run away from yourself if you really ask yourself what you want from a relationship if you draw up a list of what you really truly want I don't care how scary or out of reach it sounds you deserve that and this, if you're able to be that person someone else can too because I hold men to the standard I hold myself if I as a person is able to provide that much respect and comfort to someone else and someone else can do the same and I'm not willing to shift from that you're very self-assured and you have a very solid head on your shoulders. Do you feel like, when you look at your friends, do you feel like this is something you see in a lot of them? I, I definitely was not like that when I was 23. 
Well, the thing is, funny enough, I'm like the youngest in all my friendship groups. The, the youngest friend I have is about 25. So most of my friends are like late 20s or just about early 30s. I'm more drawn to people that are older than me. I'm more drawn to people that have more experiences than me and have, you know, lived longer than me so they can impart knowledge and wisdom. But part of why I have this self-assurance is because my friendships are all based on, you know, it's all about self-betterment. And so it just naturally seeps into how I carry my own self elements of the book you're sort of like no don't do that no cut these people out no just you know crack on you do you some of that you can read as a little bit brutal do you think it's brutal i don't think it's brutal to tell someone that they need to protect their space because there are two options here you can continue forcing it and trying it and and making yourself more unhappy in the process or you can accept that if something isn't changing, then you need to change something about what you're doing. And that can involve cutting people off. And I think why people find that sentence brutal, the sentence cutting people off, why they might find that brutal is because it's this idea that it's, it's, it's forever and you're never going to see them again. No, it just means that you're taking a break from that person and you're deciding how long that break is going to be. Until that person presents behaviour that deems them worthy of access to you, you can decide how long you don't want to speak to them for. This is about you regaining your control and regaining your power. This isn't about you know a mean mind game or feeling bad for revoking someone of access to you because I don't think anybody who makes you question yourself deserves that much access to you. So this is all about setting boundaries. And setting boundaries isn't something you can do by you know, cutting around corners and trying to tiptoe. It comes from you making solid decisions and deciding this is how much access this person is going to have to me and I can decide whether they can have more of it or less of it according to how they behave with this new boundary that I've set in place. There's a dog who is having a lovely time at the moment. Or maybe... He really does. And, and you know, he is, so... Um... Shout out, dog. <laughs> You are in your early 20s, and I am in my like mid-30s, but your voice in the book has a real authenticity and sort of wisdom to it. Like Some of the stuff you're saying to me now, oh, Jesus Christ, I wish I had thought like that when I was 23. And you draw upon a number of Igbo proverbs that you've learnt from your mum, who's Nigerian, and the book is also dedicated to your mum. How important has your mum's influence been on you She's definitely been such a key person in my life because she has taught me so much about learning to stand firm in my truth. And that comes with, you know, if something doesn't sit right with me, I need to speak up because if you don't say anything, a lot of the time people will think that you liked it or that you enjoyed it or that you didn't mind. So it's like, don't assume anyone is a mind reader. Don't assume anyone, you know, knows how you feel. Speak up for yourself. Um, she's also taught me just through her existing that it is okay to be bold and confident because she's a very, very bold and confident person. And like literally, if she walks into the room, you'll know she's entered. That's the kind of presence that she has. And I really love that. And I try to embody that same aura that she has. But most importantly, what she has taught me is to just remember that I am a Nigerian and that I should keep my roots with me everywhere I go. And that's why I really wanted to include the Ibo proverbs in this book because I wanted to give people a touch of where I'm truly from and how that has shaped the way that I move through the world. 
It's quite interesting because I feel like at the moment British African women, actually British Nigerian women in particular, are having like a bit of a moment right now. Why do you think that's come about at this point in time? I think it's because we are realising and remembering that there is so much value in Nigeria and that Nigeria provides so much cultural influence, material influence too. We provide resources to a lot of the world through oil. So I think it's just exciting that, you know, there's a massive British-Nigerian wave happening here in the UK, you know, through arts, through music as well, through fashion. And I think that influence can't even be ignored. So it's reached, it's reached a point where we all just have to just acknowledge it. So that's why I'm so grateful and proud to be able to, you know, be a part of that movement and be a literal part of history. Yeah, I mean, look at the football shirts. Right? Oh, my goodness. Oh, great. Shame about the result, but, you know. No. The book is it is a really, really beautiful object just to, like, look at. It's really colourful and the design is beautiful and there's loads of illustrations. Did you always want it to be like that? I always, always, because those illustrations, some of them were done when I was, like, 17. So I studied at the Brit School, and they have a visual arts and design course there. So that's basically, like, you know, just art, drawing, graphics, all mixed up together. And when I did those drawings at the time, I always had dreams of being an artist. I really wanted my art to be in an exhibition where people come and look at it. But as I got older, I realised, OK, that dream is a very, very, very far-fetched one, and it's going to involve me having to have a lot of money and a lot of studio space. I just didn't have that in my house. So I made these pieces quite small-scale and spent most of my time making them on my computer but then I really still wanted that part of me to come through in the book which is why a lot of them are in the book and it just adds to this whole idea of me wanting to make reading fun again especially for adults because I find reading something that I struggle with I could literally sit here right and read a whole page of full concentration and I'll look at you and I won't be able to say what I read because it just doesn't connect in my brain I don't know why but if you make it more stimulating then there's a, there's a higher likelihood that you would be able to take it in but what I also wanted to do with this book in terms of the design of it and, and the spacing out was that I really wanted to make sure that it's very directly to the point rather than taking such a long time to arrive at the actual message because a lot of the time you can just get so lost by the time you get to the message you're like so why don't you just say that so I really wanted the book to be very direct which is why you know the word brutal was used earlier because it's very very direct there's no sugar coating or hugging it's just straight to the point but also intentionally there are no page numbers because I want people to yeah because I want people to start where they are and that's the thing with you know self-help or taking control of your life you have to start now with what you have you are equipped with the tools required to become a higher version of yourself you can't wait until January 1st 2019 or 4th of August next year what's the point in waiting when you can just start now so with this book you can pick it up on any page and there'll be something there that's relevant to you to where you are in life right now and so that's the whole point I want to make the reading experience something that's fun and exciting but also rewarding and makes you feel like you're not just learning about yourself, but you're also enjoying really fun illustrations too. Are all the illustrations yours? All done by me. Photography, illustrations, all done by me. It's a very gorgeous book. You're a blogger and you're a speaker and you kind of came to prominence, as it were, with your Saggy Boobs Matter movement. So I was thinking about this because when I was a teenager, I used to get called fat ass, right? That's what my brother and his friends called me. Cheers, guys. Uh, And it took me years to learn to love my bum, basically. Thanks, J-Lo and Beyonce. It's not what you want when you're 13. You feel quite self-conscious already. The idea of taking that and turning it into some kind of global movement 
or like oh you know what this is this thing that makes me feel self-conscious I'm gonna like actually just put it out there for everyone to see there is no way I would have done that there is no way I would have had the confidence to do that tell us a bit more about what inspired it and and what it is and, and what you're doing with it I chose to start Saggy Moves Matter because I've pretty much since I've had boobs have been quite saggy but it became a problem for me when I was around 14, 15, and I'd go to Marks and Spencer's to get my bra fitting done because that's where we, that's where you'd go. So when they gave me the correct bra according to my perfect measurement, I tried the bra on, but my boobs still wouldn't look perky like the woman on the packaging. So that's when I realised something is wrong, and I just felt so insecure by that. And that was where the complex developed. And so moving forward to about age 17, I would still just not like my boobs at all, and I'd feel like I have old woman boobs because they're saggy. And I saw the way people would speak about women's bodies and if there's anything on your body that's sagging then it means that you know it's something that's going to be insulted because that's how I saw other women's bodies being discussed on the internet so when I got to 19 I saw that Rihanna had released this really cute River Island collection and that was like the earlier days of Instagram where she'd like wear some of the clothes and she wouldn't be wearing a bra with any of them and I just thought whoa this looks so cute but Rihanna at the time had smaller boobs than me and so I thought I'd get away with it just like her so I decided I'm going to stop wearing a bra too and I'd wear these really cute outfits like you know string vests and um, crop tops with no bra underneath but then when I'd post a picture I'd just get so much abuse from people saying things like your tits are too saggy you've got slipper boobs that's ugly you need to hide that where's your bra can see your nipples a lot of people on the internet including men and women but I decided that I'm just going to power through and not bother because my comfort comes first and I actually feel a lot more comfortable without a bra and so fast forward to 23 I had a party and I was wearing this really cute mini yellow dress and it had a deep plunge shape at the front so it meant that you could see a lot of my like posture of my boobs but because I was happy that whole night and I loved all the pictures I posted a photo but then as I was typing up the caption I had a great time I was like hold on a minute I can see that I'm going to get insulted a lot by how my boobs look so I'm going to actually talk about this and so I decided to upload it to you know how Instagram stories lets you put text on the image I started writing loads and loads of different messages on the image about boobs so I was trying to say to women don't worry about your boobs being saggy you're still going to get wife and what I meant by that is if you think that having saggy boobs is going to make someone not attracted to you and that you're not going to get married don't even bother because there's a whole world out there full of people who will love you and understand you regardless of how your boobs sit on your chest then I was talking about how women have been conditioned to prioritize the male gaze and not even think about ourselves as bodies rather than these objects that to be consumed by men and so when I did that on my Instagram stories, I decided I'm going to upload it on my Instagram page itself too and also on Twitter. And so I posted it up and then on Twitter, surprisingly, I still managed to get abuse even though I was clearly, you know, talking about how important this is for women. And the irony was that so many women were still against it. But then I learned from that that any woman who would rather reinforce the dehumanisation of women has got a lot of internalised misogyny to deal with. And that's why with... You know, with feminism, what's really important, what's the biggest priority is that we all make it a huge effort to unlearn our own internalised misogyny. Misogyny is basically just the idea that women are seen as inferior and it's a hate towards women. And so once you get rid of that, because every single person has got some some level of in, internalised misogyny because we're in a patriarchal society, which means that it's run by men and the power is given to men. Once you're able to shed that as much as possible, it then means you can actually see women as people rather than seeing them as objects to be consumed that deserve to be shamed and judged. And so through me initiating that conversation, I've been able to encourage people to understand that 
You don't have to explain your body to anyone. You didn't sit there knitting yourselves together. That wasn't you that did that. You don't have to explain yourself. And your body not being attractive is not a fault, let alone your fault. And so I want people to just be able to just live and not wait for their life to start after people like them or after people accept their boobs or after they change their boobs. This is about women having autonomy and agency over their own bodies and what we can do to take that back. And that's why I'm really glad that Saggy Boobs Matter has happened because I've had three very key groups of women approach me. I've had women that are around like 17, 18 message me saying that coming across this movement has encouraged them to not attend the plastic surgery consultation because they've seen that a woman as young as me who you know dresses like them and has the same mindset as them is able to still live a full life with saggy boobs so you're not going to die from having saggy boobs clearly and then i've had women who are breastfeeding mothers saying to me that they're so happy that they're seeing what i'm doing because you know they were advised unsolicited by loads of people to not breastfeed or else they're going to sag or they should at least cut down on how much they're going to breastfeed their child so they can maintain the perkiness and the fullness of their boobs, or telling them that you know they need to hurry up and get their body back once they're done with their child. And all this messaging is really harmful and, and unfair on women, because first of all, if you have a child, you've just given birth to a child and you're able to breastfeed. One, it's a beautiful process. Not all women are able to do that. Two, it's really important because it doesn't, that function doesn't exist for no reason. It's for you to exchange information and cells and, you know, important antibodies with your child. There's nothing more important than feeding your child. Like, the perkiness of your boobs cannot be more important than the health of your child. And so seeing those women say to me that they're really glad they've seen this means the most. It's already rigged. They're already going to be not good enough even when they try and, you know, maintain that perkiness. And then I've had 50-year-old women, 50 and above-year-old women, saying that they're so glad that they've seen this movement because this is the first time in 20 years that they've gone out about a bra and they felt sexy for once. And I think that's really important because women who are older are often ignored and not included in the self-love conversation. And you see that, yeah, it's like, well, your expiry date is reached now. You can just wait to die. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> right? And I find that really, really weird and interesting and, and quite fascinating because there isn't an expiry date to love yourself. You can never stop being beautiful or never stop ador adoring or admiring yourself. And so that reminded me that, of course, women like of that age deserve to be involved in the conversation. Why wouldn't they? Because if you look at the advertising of self-love products and like even the conversation around self-love, it is very, very, very young people-centric. Of course, it's being driven by young people, but we have to remember that there are women that are older who deserve access to this conversation. So I'm really glad I've been able to provide that group of women with the ability to feel hot again. It goes to show that there's more to you than the perkiness of your boobs, and that's ultimately what this message is about. You've got a lot going on at the minute. What is next for you? I have a children's book coming out September 6th. Yeah! called scribble yourself feminist and it's a coloring book it's really fun and exciting and it's aimed at young thinkers around age 12 and up and it's all about introducing you know kids to the concept of feminism because the human's right it's a human rights issue i don't i don't think it's ever too early to introduce children to concepts that are going to affect them for the rest of their life there's nothing confusing about it you have to start there is always going to be a basic way to teach something that's complex and i think through coloring in and through you know having you know fun word searches and you know, being able to look at really cool quotes from key feminists and having fun with the conversation, that matters a lot. And so Penguin Random House commissioned me to write the book and I thought, yeah, I'd absolutely love to do it. But I've also got a lot in the pipeline in terms of trying to do a lot more things on television. So I'm really just having a lot of fun with it and being quite flexible with 
where I'm casting my net, but at the same time, television is definitely the future. Excellent. I'm very glad to hear that. What Time to Be Alone is available in all good bookshops, and it is lovely, and I have really enjoyed what I've read of it so far. Where can we find you on social media? Thank you so much. You can find me at The Slum Flower on all socials or theslumflower.com. Or you can just YouTube search Saggy Boobs and you're going to see my video <laughs> from me on ITV this morning talking about it. So if you just like Saggy Boobs and Chidera, you'll see it come up. And maybe some other things. <laughs> Careful how you Google, guys. Chidera, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This has been the best conversation. Standard issue for all women.